This morning we are continuing in our series, our summer series, uh, focusing on our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. And uh, we've talked about many aspects of it. Last week we focused on the fact that we are adopted. Uh, we are children of God. We went from 1 John 3, 1a, uh, first part of 1 John chapter, uh, first part of verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 John. See what kind of love that the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. God's love that we have. We are adopted. So we've gone through this. We are chosen. We are justified. We are set apart or sanctified. We are adopted. We are children of God. And today we are focused on the reality that we are loved by God. We are a loved people. And... Again, that uh, comes uh, from 1 John 3, 1. Again, we see that what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. In God's love, I, I think it's uh, probably appropriate to say that, that there's uh, a general form of love, just like we speak of, of a general way of God looking at the world, general grace that... You know, it comes down to the reality of, of at the point that we first sinned, what did we deserve? Death. Obviously, we're all still sitting here. Uh, okay, because of Christ and His love, believers will sit here in His grace, but even the non-believer who is sitting outside of God's grace is still breathing. Okay, and so that's a form of, of, of what some would call common grace. We can also say that in a sense there's a general or common love that God has for us. Uh, he says in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In other words, the blessing of God that meets our needs, that, 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 that waters the crops, that builds the, the fields and, and all of this that we need, God shares with the, the world as a whole. And so I agree with uh, many of the, the authors that say that when God says, I, I so loved the world that I gave my only son, he means that he loves the, the, the creation, the world, his, the, the people that are created in his image. But God also has what we might call a, a, a love that is unique or special or peculiar or particular to his chosen people. Where again, we're chosen, justified, uh, adopted. And, and, and so as children of God, He has a, a special love throughout for us. And again, it's revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ. From our reading this morning in 1 John chapter 7, uh, or chapter 4, verse 7 through 21, uh, we got a clear picture of God's love for us and our response to God's love for us is that we what? Love one another. We'll look at that closely this morning. Uh, and from that reading this morning, I want to focus on, on just a few verses, verses 7 through 12, which I'd like to read again right now. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. 
And this is love. Not that we have loved, but that God has loved us and sent us His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. The uh, picture that, that John gives us here is, is one of the, I think, the clearest pictures of seeing God's love for us. In verse 10, he says very clearly, God loves us. And it's not a response. I, I think we, we need to always be aware of this. God's love for us is not a response to us first loving Him. It's not because we deserved it. It's not because we earned it. It's not because we did any good deed to impress Him. God loves us first. He loved us first in verse 19. It says, He loves us first. So God loves us. In Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more we shall be saved by Him from the wrath of God. What a powerful picture, again, this idea of His love for us. It's, it's not a response to what we did, but a, it's a reaching out to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love that He laid down His life for us. Going back to 1 John chapter 4, Verse 8, it says, God is love. God is love. When it says it that way, we're to understand that this is the, the actual attribute of God, an attribute of God, a character trait of God. He is love. And it's, it's not that love is above and beyond all other things in His attributes and His character, but it's a part of who He is. Love begins with Him. He is, he is, and it's identified as, as, as to who He is. God is the source of love. It originates in Him. If we are to love one another, like it says in verse 7, then we must know God. Now, somebody's going to automatically say, well, there's, you know, I know people that are not Christians who seem to have a wonderful family relationship, the spousal love between each other, their kids and stuff. And I'm not going to argue the fact that there, that there is a form of love that man has and he can be benevolent towards one another and kind and, and, and loving. But even that is a gift from God, a character trait that's in us as, as created in His image. But the reality that we're looking at is, is to be able to love my wife the way God wants me to love my wife, I must first love Him. For me to be able to love my children the way God wants me to love my children, I must first love Him. To love my enemy, which is something the world is not prone to do. But Jesus tells us that that is part of who we are. 
we must first love Him. God is the source of love, and to have that love in us, we must know God. We must come to the Father, confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. In fact, in verses 9 and 10, he makes it clear, God's love is made manifest, clear, visible, Understandable. It's made manifest. It's made open to us. A mystery explained. And how is it done? By the propitiation for our sins. And what that simply means is that through the cross, Christ justified us and settled the the price with God. We are at peace with God because of what Christ has done for us. Whenever, and I know you hear it you know, from me during the Christmas season too, but you know, the, the cards, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, misses the boat completely. You know, they're thinking, you know, no wars, no, you know, all this kind of stuff. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men is, is peace with God. That's what Christ came to bring. And so He has manifested this through the propitiation of our sins. It's the finished work of the cross. We are justified. The account is settled, paid in full. He drank the cup of wrath for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what was it that he pleaded that he would not have to do? It had nothing to do with the physical cross. It had to do with the cup. He said that I might not have to drink the cup. Why? Because as he drank the cup of wrath for us, he he experienced what the penalty of pin, the penalty, boy. We'll go backwards here. What the penalty of sin is, and he knows what it is to be separated. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He understands that, and and he paid it, and he didn't pay it in part. He didn't pay it in in installments. (laughs) He paid it in full. There is nothing we bring to the throne of God in and of ourselves that warrants His love. But as we come through Jesus Christ, His that, that love that He has for His children, for His church, for those that He has called and justified, becomes ours. So if we are to love one another, we must know God. And to know God means to come into a personal relationship with Him. That is, again, that confession of faith. To know that we have said those those words in our heart. And and I believe that it is a public confession as well uh, that we are to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that we agree that He is and, and, and accept Him as our Savior, the one and only Savior. In verse 11, uh, it says, and this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and His life is in the Son. I jumped ahead to chapter 5. Somebody, you know, everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh, and I'm looking at it saying, I don't recall that. <laughs> Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If our response is to receive God's love, 
then he makes a very clear statement as to how we are to interact with one another. That we ought to love one another. And the word ought isn't that it's kind of like, well, we should, but if we don't, it's okay. The word ought is in a form of, of an explanation. We, this is what we are to do. We are to love one another. I look at that and, and, and I, I look over the, the history of the church and we see so many schisms and divisions and times of, of, of difficulties uh, that you, you wonder sometimes, uh, you know, where, where do we see this love? And I don't know if you've ever been in a church where there has been a schism, where there's been division, uh, but it's, it's a very painful thing. And it's not something that God wants or blesses. He, it's not something that He wants to see in His kingdom and in His family. This idea of love one another comes back to a, a love that, that is a kind of uh, how we treat one another, how we speak of one another. I think of, of Ephesians uh, chapter 4 where, where it says, Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. There's a form of love. Working to share with anyone that has a need. A form of benevolence, if you will. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk. Now, some people might think that that would be like foul language or something. It means the kind of talk that brings someone else down. I have actually stood in, 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 a, in a supermarket and heard someone loud enough to be down the aisle downgrading their pastor. And somebody will say, well, you know, how... how Despicable, if you will. But you know, it's not an uncommon of occurrence. I've seen Christians get together and downgrade their leadership. I've seen Christians get together and downgrade other people in the congregation. That's, if you will, corrupting talk. It doesn't do anything to build up. It doesn't do anything to encourage. Look again at the, these, these words. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And one, one thought might come to mind, but you don't know what that person said about me. It has nothing to do with who we are in Christ. It has to do with how we stand with Christ as to what we say about them. And it's, it's not a tit for tat. It's not, well, I earned the right to say because. <laughs> you know, it's the reality is that don't let this happen. Don't let it escape. Uh, don't lose this control that the Holy Spirit brings to us. That We want to say the words that are building up that fit the occasion. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the, for the day of redemption. And then here again, listen to these words. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. It leaves no room for, for having and harboring thoughts of, uh, the, of, of, of 
disparaging thoughts, I don't know what else to say at this point, towards other people. And, and it, it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God Christ forgave you. And there is a real key. Forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. This idea of forgiveness is so important within the framework of the body of Christ. When we forgive somebody, it's the same as God forgives. It says as Christ has forgiven you. When Christ forgives us, He what? Well, we have pictures in the Old Testament. He casts it away as far as the east is to the west, or He puts it in the deepest part of the sea. And, and, I, and I paraphrase my little ad lib there and puts up a no fishing sign. You know, uh, is, is that we are to forgive one another like Christ forgives us. Does that mean that the sin is not known of anymore? That it's not, it's, it's not something that we're aware of anymore? No, it's not forgotten. That's where we, you know, when it says God no longer remembers it against us, it means that He no longer holds it against us in, in condemnation or judgment or wrath because we come under the blood of Christ. And so I, I will repeat what I've said several times over the years that, that, that it's like, uh, and it was shared with Kathy and I in our marriage counseling. Uh, before, and we weren't even Christians at the time, but we, we, we in fact, we, I remember uh, asking uh, the, the minister that married us to, to, to repeat it again one time a little later, uh, just to make sure that we got it. But that was the idea that sin uh, uh, is like, you know, here's something that is sin that has been done, and it's put in a book, if you will, and, and, and here's the title of the book. And you put it on the bookshelf. Can you still see the title? Yeah, you can. It's still something that happened, and it, you may not forget that it happened. But it's, but but when it's on the bookshelf, there's three things he said that go with that. He says the next time that there's a problem in, in the relationship, you don't take it off the shelf and throw it at the other person. In other words, you're not remembering it against them. It's been put on the shelf. It's been forgiven. When you're having a pity party, you don't take it off the shelf and sit there by yourself and moan and groan and look, oh, at all these things that have happened to me. No, you put it on the shelf. You don't take it off. And finally, you're sitting around with some other people and, and someone says, oh, my, my uh, spouse did such and such and such and such. And you say, oh, you ought to, this is what happened to me. No, you leave it on the shelf. In other words, the idea was, yes, it happened. That's a part of history. And, and, if, and, and it was put kind of in this way, if, 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 if sin was forgotten and remembered no more, we wouldn't know a thing about what David did. So that's not what he means when he says that. What he means is that it's not held in condemnation. So we're to hold that same kind of forgiveness for one another as he holds it for us. If we have come into a relationship with God and his love abides in us and his Holy Spirit is abiding in us, then as we begin to feel His love, understand His love, and to grow in His love, it should be a type of love that reflects His love for us. That Christ has for the church. If we love God, we ought to love one another. It says in verse 12 that no one has seen God. But, he says, and look carefully at it here, 
He said, you know, no one has seen God, but he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. No one has seen God. What he is saying, I believe, is a general statement here. In the world, people don't see God. But if God abides in us, and His love is in us, then they should at least be seeing some character traits of God. Where? In the body of Christ, in the church. In, in our business actions. You see, it's not something that's just here on Sunday mornings. It's supposed to go everywhere we go. And as a result, people look and say, that person is different. They approach life differently. They view life differently. When they experience the loss of a loved one, they experience it differently. We have a confidence when we lose a loved one in Christ, as we've already shared this morning. We will see them again. We will see them again. And we rest with a confidence in that. So as we're in the world, the world should be able to look at the body of Christ and see how we live with each other and get a picture of what? The love of God. In fact, John writes in chapter 13 of the Gospel of John that there will, they will know we are Christians by what? By our love. Our love for one another and how we minister within the framework of a community with compassion and concern and with care. Striving to meet needs when we can. I don't know how many times this congregation has been called on to meet needs on a broader scale than, this, than our own body. In fact, I believe there's a, uh, a little basket in the back right now for uh, Wesley Downey. Uh, and uh, he's wounded uh, in, in service overseas. He's now home, recovering. And there's an opportunity to minister to the needs there. I have seen this congregation reach out over and over and over again uh, and... and it just blesses me to know how caring this congregation is for the broader body of Christ and also for people that have no apparent relationship with Christ but have a need. They'll be able to look at us and see that God abides here. God abides not only here but in us. Why? Because we're not the, the people we were. I know within my own family... My, my aunts and uncles especially knew me growing up and, and know me as, as, as a believer. They're, they know that the two are not the same. I know I've shared this with you before, but my uncle was concerned when I married, uh, did the wedding service for my daughter, or my, my, my daughter, my sister, the first wedding that I did. He asked my dad if it was legal. He couldn't figure out what had happened. What was the transformation? It wasn't until my dad's funeral that he turned around and came up to me and he says, you really believe this, don't you? They're supposed to see something different in us. It says His love is perfected in us. It's completed in us. It's worked out through us. 
God has chosen, and I think it's an amazing thing, God has chosen to work through the body of Christ, through the believer, to reach the rest of the world. And, and so we are a part of His kingdom's work. Because we love Him. And His love abides in us. And we take His love and are used by Him to bring it to others. They will know we are Christians by our love that we have for each other and even for our enemies. So as we look at this, because God is the source of love and God has is, is manifested His love by giving His Son, because God's love is made visible in the church by our love for one another, here's the reasons. We are to grow into this. We are to love one another. And, and Paul doesn't hesitate to say in other places, and more. And more. In other words, I've heard reputation that you, you've got a great reputation for how you love one another. Continue to grow in loving one another. It's not something we stop at and say, oh, we're, 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 we're doing okay in this factor. It's something that's supposed to be a constant area, even in our private lives, within our family lives, and within our church life, and within the community of Christ as a whole. We ought to love one another. went a little faster than I thought I would go, so it gives me an opportunity to share a few more verses with you. He said, oh, he's going to have a short sermon. No. Uh, I want to take a quick look at, at uh, verses 13 through 16 as well this morning. Of 1 John chapter 4. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us His Spirit. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit in us. And he says, because of the abiding Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is in us, we have this, this, this confidence that we abide in Him and Him in us. We know that we are saved. If you don't know that you have a, a personal relationship with Christ, then you, you need to talk to someone who you, you know is mature in Christ and, and, and make sure that that is something that you understand and is cemented clean, clear, absolute. You are to know that you are saved. You're not to be walking on some kind of tightrope wondering what if constantly. You are to know that you are resting in the grace of God. Verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We are within a framework of God that is unique, he abides in us, we in Him. And it kind of takes you back to John 17 where Jesus is praying that, you know, that the disciples would understand that God is in Christ, Christ is in God, and that we are in Him together and how we all become united together as a family and as the body of Christ. So we come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. We know we abide in Him because He has given us His Spirit. We can have that confidence. You can read Romans 
chapter 8, verse 1, and have an absolute confidence that it applies to you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. An assurance that you are saved. We abide in Him. He abides in us. He received, we received His love. And then we testify that goes with this. It's, it's one of those things that happens when you accept Christ. It's something that you... It's almost like you can't help yourself. You want to share it with someone. I can remember being told in the church that after Kathy and I had accepted the Lord, we were adults and had already started our family. And we got into the church and we just we were so excited about what was going on. We just it, Things were changing so fast. And I had chosen to go to a church where a, there, a person was an elder in the church. Turns out he wasn't there anymore. He had already shipped off to Bible college. But he had been, he was an older man, but he had been my lab partner and, uh, uh, in, in, uh, at Cal Poly in a, fair, a couple of classes, as well as my speech partner, where we paired up in another couple of classes where he had to pair up for projects and stuff like that. And, and we knew each other fairly well. And I said, man, if they, because I knew Ray really well, and, and I figured, man, if they can help him, they can help me. And so we went to that church. And I can remember a few months after being there that, that they, they, they was kind of like, you need to calm down a little bit. You need to put brakes on this. You'll calm down. After, after it sets in, you'll calm down. And I just want to share with you, thank God it hasn't. It's not supposed to. It's not supposed to be some kind of oh, status quo. First off, there's not supposed to be a status quo in us. Not if we're growing in Christ. It doesn't matter how old we are. And how long we've been walking with the Lord. He's given us the confidence and an assurance that we are His and He is in and that He abides in us. So that if we confess and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He's there. He's with us. He's in us. We have a confidence on the day of judgment. Uh, verse 17, he says, By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. He saved us. He's removed our condemnation. Not because we deserved it, not because He earned it. He first loved us. Before the foundation of the world, the plan was in effect. And he, you know, it says He chose us. He's justified us. He's adopted us. He loves us. No fear. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I've seen the, the, the t-shirts that had, had nothing to do with this verse, but just no fear. And, and it has to do with promoting a, a whole line of wardrobe and shoes and a whole bunch of other things. But, but the idea is, is that this is a biblical picture. It is something that is to rest in us. No fear. No fear of what? Judgment. No fear of condemnation. We rest in Him with our salvation. And it is... Achieved. It's done. It's complete. It is finished. He says, For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. 
And I guess that's where we do end with this this morning. He first loved us. And He proved it by paying for our sins, making peace with God before the throne of God, appeasing God, propitiation, making it right with us in God through the cross. He paid the price. He went through the words of uh, and 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 the, and, and the, you know the cross as as those I think of the words you know that why hast thou forsaken me, and yet you go to Psalm 22 and read the rest of it. Even within the framework of saying those words, he had the confidence that 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 everything that was in the plan would be completed. The resurrection specifically. So we come every Sunday with with communion, and what we're celebrating is is the life of Christ, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. It's all tied to communion. And we're also celebrating that He is coming again. He tells us very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, do this as often as you do in remembrance of Me until I come again. What a powerful picture we have of the confidence we can, and, and if the Holy Spirit is abiding in us now, we know that this is true. And again, it comes down to that. I want to make sure this morning that if there's any doubt in anybody's mind, tag me after, after worship service this morning and, and, and uh, we'll set up a time to get together and, and talk. I, I, I want you to all have that confidence, that absolute confidence that you are outside the condemnation and under the love of Christ because God abides in you. Ask the ushers to come forward, uh, the worship team to come back. Uh, let's, uh, and, and as the ushers pass the uh, uh, communion out, hold the emblems until we've all been served and we'll share together.